Well, I want to welcome our Darrington, our Missouri City, and our Sugar Land campuses together. It's Sunday, and here we are together. Now, Darrington is joining us in three days. They have worship on Wednesday night, but today we are together as one church. It's live streaming. We're not physically, but we're so grateful for the opportunity for us to be able to share this time together. Now, one of the things that happened last week that I thought was so cool is that so many people texted in on the three venues that we have. They began to text in and share notes, and they were talking, you were talking to each other and talking to us. And we have three groups of staff that are actually interchanging with you, and it is such a fun thing. So today, we encourage you to do the very same thing. And in all three venues, I need one or two people to say, oh, what a handsome pastor that we have as you're texting in. It may be that you heard that, ne- that we are planning to be together again on Easter weekend. That's what we're anticipating. We don't know for sure, but that's how it's looking, and we are praying to that end. So I hope that you'll be praying for us in that as well. And next Sunday on March the 29th, I've asked Pastor Libin Abraham to preach for us. I want to encourage you to call people everywhere you know them and encourage them to tune in next Sunday morning. Now, what happened last Sunday? Let me talk to you about that for just a moment. We didn't know if people would actually tune in. We, we hoped, we, we thought maybe it would happen, but we weren't sure. But you gave us a giant exclamation point last week. We had over 2,700 families that tuned in. We don't know how many people. There were families of one, two, and three, and six, and seven, and eight. We don't know how many people tuned in, but we're so grateful for it. And if you just imagine with me for a moment, what if in these 2,700 families, there were two and a half, an average of two and a half people per family? That'd be over 6,700 people. And what if there were three people per average, that would be over 8,000. And what that said to me is, you invited people, and people tuned in, and I'm so grateful that you did it. This is a, a big yay God. And another thing that happened last week is we weren't sure where people actually give online. Would you, would you help us? Every church in America is asking that. Every church in America is a little bit concerned and calling out to God about that. And, you know, we have about 40% of our members who give online, but we've got all of these expenses still baked in, just like you do in your family, whether or not people are here or whether they're just watching online. And you know what you did? We had over $250,000. Yeah, it took our breath away. Over $250,000 that were given online last Sunday. We're so grateful. Thank you so much. One of the long-term goals that we have is that we could move about 40% that give online now to about 80 or 90%. You have no idea what that would mean to our church. Last Sunday, one of our beautiful children, her name is Kaylee, gave her heart to Jesus Christ. As we were praying at the end of the broadcast and praying for people to come to know Christ, she accepted Jesus as her Savior too. And we were so proud of Kaylee. She is eight years old, and she shared that with her parents. They talked to her about that decision. They feel very comfortable with it. They called us, and we have another yay God. So many yay gods 
right now. I'm going to ask us to pause for just a moment. Let's pray. Let's ask God to enter into this time with us. Father, we come to you today, and we ask, Father, would you move in our midst? Thank you for healing so many people in our church and those who are sick, we pray that you would supernaturally heal them and restore them. Thank you for keeping safe so many of our families. We thank you for people that are joining us all the way to Nepal, all the way to Indonesia and other places, and we are so grateful. And now, God, we ask that you would use this passage of Scripture that we're going to look through today and bless us and help us and encourage us with it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It may be that you're already feeling a little bit of cabin fever, and it may be that there's a little bit of nerves, a little bit on edge. Man, we're under some stress and some difficulty today, and maybe you are already feeling it. Can you believe it? James chapter 1, in this series that we're doing, Thriving in a Hostile World, the very next passage of Scripture, James talks about anger. It's found in James chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the title, the message title, Mad About You. And notice what James says in James chapter 1 and verses 19 and 20. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, the first thing that I want to say to you is not all anger is wrong. Not all anger is wrong. There are actually three Greek words that are translated anger in the New Testament. The first one is a Greek word called parargismos, P-A-R-A-R-G-I-S. M-O-S, parargismos, and it is a word that actually means a crockpot kind of anger, sort of a simmering kind of anger. It gets hotter and hotter and hotter like a crockpot does, and maybe it explodes when it comes to, the, to boiling over. The second word for anger is the Greek word thumos, T-H-U-M-O-S, and it is a word that actually means to cross over a boundary, some, to cross over someone's boundary line in their life. I think that most of us don't really think about boundary lines in our life, but all of us have them. If we were asked what boundaries that we have in our life, we couldn't articulate all of those. But the moment that someone crosses the boundary, we feel it. We know it's there. Kathy and I have only had one dog in our entire marriage, and it was uh, the, early on in our marriage. I was pastoring a little country church. We were still both going to college, and I was pastoring that country church, and we decided that we wanted to live closer to the people that we were pastoring, so we moved out in the country. And if you move out in the country, you got to have a dog. And so we got a dog. He was a German shepherd, big, strong dog, but he's just the, the mildest, meekest dog. He was so kind and sweet, and, and uh, he, we named him Gabriel after the angel Gabriel. Well, Gabriel and I were outside, and we were just kind of goofing off a little bit, and all of a sudden, there appeared one of the neighbor dogs. He came, actually, to pick a fight with Gabriel. That's really why he came. He was about a mile away. It's where he lived. And he came all this way. And there was Gabriel and I. And we were outside. And we were just goofing off. And there, here he came. And he came walking 
down the road that was in front of our house. It was a two-lane road, and he was walking on the other lane, the furthest lane. And he walked across our property line, and Gabriel saw him immediately, and and I turned, and I saw him, and, and he was walking across that property line that we had, and he was looking the whole time he was walking down the street at Gabriel. And he went to the property line, turned around, and he walked across again the whole time looking at Gabriel. And he got to the property line, came back, and now he stopped full front. And I looked down at Gabriel, and the hair was sticking up on the back of his neck, and there was a simmering anger. I could hear it coming out of him, and he was ready. And then the strangest thing happened. I was very amazed by it because that dog, that neighbor's dog, stopped, and he, he right, at, right at the midsection of the road, and he put one paw, he put one paw over the center line. And as soon as he put the paw over the center line, Gabriel went for him, and they had a fight, and Gabriel beat him, and I was so cheering Gabriel on, and he won that battle, and that dog went back crying, he'll never come back again. And Gabriel started prancing all the way back up to me, and I hugged him, told him how great he was. Now, this is what dogs do. Kids, this is not what kids do. We don't fight with neighborhood kids, and I want you to know that. But dogs do this sort of thing. And I was thinking about that moment when he put his paw over the center line. All he did is put one paw over, and he knew what he was doing, and Gabriel knew what he was doing, and Gabriel took off. He was crossing Gabriel's boundary. You know what? We have boundaries. And we don't always know how to articulate them, but we feel them. And at that moment, sometimes we cross each other's boundaries. That's the word thumos. The third Greek word is actually the word orge, O-R-G-G-E. And it is a word that means a righteous indignation. And actually, Paul in, chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse, verse 26 says, it is okay to be angry, to have a righteous indignation, as long as we limit its duration and its intensity. And the point I'm really making here, it's okay. There are times in which it's okay to be angry. Some anger is righteous indignation. In fact, 375 times in the Bible, it says God was angry. God gets angry because of how wrongly some people treat other people. God gets angry because of sinful decisions people make that end up damaging themselves and others. There was a little boy that um, refused to eat his prunes at dinner. And he says, I can't, I don't like prunes, and I'm not going to eat the prunes. And his mother got very upset with him and said, you got to go to your bedroom. Have time out in your bedroom. She made a statement as he was leaving. I wish she wouldn't have made. She said, and also, God's really mad at you now, too. We, she shouldn't have said that. We parents need to be really careful because our kids can form wrong impressions about the nature of God by some statements that we made. But she said that, and so he went to his bedroom. And he got in the bedroom about five minutes later, ten minutes later, of all things, a giant 
thunderstorm all of a sudden came up and the lightning was was flashing and the thunder was roaring and there was crashing everywhere and rain was coming down and it was just amazing. And the mom got a little bit concerned that maybe her son might be afraid. So she cracked the door a little bit to look inside and there he was standing right by the window with the blinds open and she overheard him say, God all of this for a few prunes? You know what? I understand this boy because as a little boy, I had a prune incident. My mom was the greatest mom. She was just fantastic. And she could do literally anything. She's a fantastic cook. I don't know where she got this. Maybe she read this in a magazine or on in the newspaper or something. I don't know. But she placed in front of us at dinner a bowl with a big, what looked to me like slimy prune in the bowl, and she presented this as dessert. And I was sitting there thinking to myself, I mean, I remember this story. I remember it as clear as it happened yesterday, and I was just a little kid. It's one of the, it's one of the great memories of my little kid days that I remember, and I remember sitting there thinking you should never put in the same sentence the word prune and the word dessert. Dessert is a holy thing, and a prune never will rise to that level. And I ended up in my bedroom just like the other little boy. I did. And so I'm sitting on the edge of my bed. I'm, I am in timeout, and I'm thinking to myself, I was seriously thinking to myself, it, it ought to be against the law to serve a prune as a dessert. And it probably is against the law. My mom just doesn't know it. Okay, now back to Jesus. Jesus got angry at the money changers in the temple and at the Pharisees because they were stealing from others. This is righteous indignation. There are good reasons to be angry. When, when people mistreat other people, it's okay. It's okay to be angry. I've been hearing, I've been reading about how some individuals, con artists, are designing ways in which they can fool elderly people and, and the rest of us to, to maybe sign up on what we think is maybe a credit card company or something and put in our password and our, and our username so they can steal money from those people. It's okay to be angry at people. It is right to get angry when people use these days to hurt others. But the problem with even good anger is that it still can become wrong when it is expressed in a wrong way or allowed to linger too long. So what is so harmful? What is so wrong about anger out of control? Well, one of the problems is, is that it actually brings health consequences by an anger out of control. It causes high blood pressure, it causes ulcers, it causes headaches and other things. doesn't mean that every time we get high blood pressure or we get ulcers is because of anger by any stretch. They come for different reasons. But one of those reasons is an anger out of control. Several years ago, I read a book called How to Live 365 Days a Year. And it was written by a medical doctor whose name was John Schindler. And 
he introduced to me in that book uh, about emotionally induced illnesses. It's not illnesses of our imagination. It's illnesses, real illness, illnesses that happen because we've got emotions out of control. Maybe it's fear, maybe it's worry, maybe it is anger, whatever it is. And it can actually cause a, a uh, chemical reaction in our body that can actually bring illnesses into our life, emotionally induced illnesses. And John Schindler made this statement. He says, the more that you give yourself over to anger out of control, the more you will see a deterioration in your health. There's also not just physical ramifications of an anger out of control, but there's also spiritual consequences to anger out of control. We can actually use, lose our close relationship, our close fellowship with God. The Bible says that anger out of control affects our ability to have fellowship with God. Jesus made this statement in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your Father will forgive you your trespasses. But if you don't forgive others of their trespasses, I'm so angry at this person, I, I'm so embittered against this person. If you don't forgive another person of the wrongs that they did in your life, God says, neither will, Jesus said, our, our heavenly Father, forgive you your trespasses that separate you and the fellowship with him. Now, we've got to forgive each other. We've got to deal with this issue of anger. Our continued anger out of control so causes God's spirit to be grieved and to be quenched. And this is what James is talking about. In James chapter 1 and verse 20, he says, for, for the anger, the thumos of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Proverbs chapter 25 verse 28 says, like a city that is broken into without walls is a man who has no control over spirit. And what, he, what that verse is saying is back in those days in, in Bible times, you, gotta, you had to have this, this wall around the city, and if, you, if your wall bro, broke down some way, you could not stop any enemy, even wild animals and even some invading army, you could not stop them. And in the same way, there's walls of protection around us, and if we give ourselves to worry and fear and especially anger, there's those walls of protection around us that begin to fall, and we are susceptible to the enemy in our life. So here's the question. What does God say about improving our relationship with others when hard moments come? Well, this is verse 19. James 1.19 says, Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. First, be quick to hear. Quick to hear what? Be quick to hear God's word on handling disappointing circumstances. Kids, could I get your attention for just a moment? I want you to know that your parents are probably feeling more pressure right now and more stress right now than probably you're aware Part of the reason has to do with the coronavirus. They, they don't want you to get sick, and they're trying their best to protect you. And, and part of the reason they don't want to get sick either because they've got to take care of you. And, 
and they're, they're, they're worried about their parents and, and concerned about extended family members and friends and neighbors, and, and there's a little bit more pressure that they're feeling right now. Not only the sickness part, not only the medical part, but also money. But you know, pretty much every, almost every adult in America right now is, is feeling some pressure about finances, even it, it may be in their business or in, in their family and things that you don't understand. But here, why am I telling you this? Because here's what I'm wanting you to do. I, your parents need you to be really kind right now. They need you to be helpful right now. They, they need you to sort of cut them some slack right now as they walk through and they help your family walk through these days. And parents, the same thing goes for kids. We need to cut them some slack too. I mean, after all, our kids love school and they love homework and they love taking tests and this has all been ripped from them and they're struggling. Well, maybe not so much, but they are struggling about, you know, they've been used to being with their friends and, and they've used to be in situations in which they could get all their energy out and they, and they could feel freer and now that's taken away and they're cooped up in the house and we all need to give each other a little slack in these days. And for all of us, we need to take a deep breath and listen to the promise that God has given to us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and for them who are the called according to his purpose. God has a plan to use the negative moments that we're walking through in a positive way in our life. Give him that opportunity. For some adults, the, there's some real stress going on right now. The stock market has fallen 30, 35%. And you're feeling some of that. Look, my retirement is in the stock market, at least part of it is, and yours may be, and other investments you've made, and there's a sense of some real stress and pressure. I, I don't pretend to be any expert on any of this, but I do know in the last 70 years that these kinds of downturns have only lasted about a year, a year and a half, and it all comes roaring back. I, I've heard this phrase, maybe you have too, that it's just sort of a loss on paper. And I'm sort of hoping that you can step back from this moment and not, not let these days ruin your joy. And I know that the price of oil, I can hardly believe it, down in the 20s, and I, I can't hardly believe it. And I know many of you, th this is your livelihood, and you're going through some real stress, and I can't tell you that I know the solution to all of this. I do know that when everything subsides, we still own the same cars, and they're still going to be the jet fuel, and, and we're going to be consuming all of that again. But I don't know the level of pain that you're going to go through, but I do know the God I do know the God who will turn this for good in your life. I don't know everything and when it's all going to turn around and how it is, but I do know that God knows your need. There's a passage of Scripture in Psalm 46, 10 and 11. I've thought about this passage so much this week. It's not in your notes, but, but maybe jot this down. Psalm 46, verse 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. 
What happens to me so often is that I'm, I'm the fix-it guy. I'm always trying to fix things. And, but no, he says, I, I, want you to, I want you to be still. Take a deep breath and be still and close, kind of clear your mind and recognize that God is still God. Be still and know that I'm God. And notice what else he says in the passage. I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the world. The Lord of heaven's armies is here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. This week I conducted a funeral and it was of a man who's, he and his wife just so dear to our church, been here for over 30 years. And because of the coronavirus, just out of the goodness of their heart, they didn't ask people to come to the funeral because they, they knew it wouldn't be the right thing. And, and it was just about 10 of us there or so at the funeral. And I just decided that at that memorial service, I would make it really informal and intimate. And I, I asked them, let's start, let's start talking about maybe stories, stories that you experienced and all, uh, uh, all the great times that we've had. And, and they started telling stories about their dad and husband and, and their grandfather. And it was the most fun time, honestly. We were laughing. It was just one of the greatest moments. And I noticed that the stories came both from planned events and unplanned events, times in which the things came up that oh, it was not the best moment, but they, but they turned it around, and it, was, it is a moment that they remember forever. Great moments, even in hard times. And I, I drove back to the office, and as I was driving back, and I was thinking about what had happened in, in that memorial service, I thought to myself, this really needs to be what happens now. I know that, you know, we watch the news and it's all dire and terrible and horrible, but maybe we need to turn the news off more often. And maybe, maybe we need to approach this moment in our lives with our families and say, we're going to turn this around and we're going to make this a great moment in our family. We're going to turn the table on this moment. And we're going to do things that maybe we didn't have time to do before, and now we're home more, and we're going to make this a great moment. We're going to set all those other things aside. We're going to take walks together. And strolls where we're not walking all that fast, and we're just talking, talking with each other. Spend a time with our kids, maybe pausing a little bit more often and noticing how handsome and how beautiful your kids are. Well, of course they're handsome and beautiful. I mean, they came from you, for crying out loud. And, and noticing the talents of your children, just talking to them and actually listening to them and them hearing you and spending time together and playing board games together and, and doing things together. And guys, maybe this is a time that you do some of those honeydews that you didn't have time to get done. I'm, I'm not talking about the 100, I'm just talking about five or six of them. And you do those honeydews and, and it's just a way of saying to your wife, you know, I love you and and she'll remember this. She'll remember this forever. 
Your kids will remember this. Having times of laughing together. Having this moment is a, is a great moment that we turn the tables on it. And we remember these days, not as negative, not as hurtful, not as terrible, but as that time in our life that it was just so much fun. Be swift to hear that God will eventually make something good out of everything bad that comes in our life, and we're willing to let him do it. Be quick to hear all the facts before making a judgment call. Uh, Proverbs 18, 13, don't give an answer before you have heard both sides. If you do, it will be a folly and a shame to you. I don't always do that. But the truth is, there are time, every, almost everything that happens has two sides to it. And be willing to hear both sides. Be quick to hear when someone, what someone is actually saying. Sometimes we sort of jump to conclusions and we even try to finish their sentence, but maybe not this time. Maybe actually listening to each other. And letting them finish the sentence and hearing what is going on in each other's lives. Second of all, he says, be slow to speak. Keep a close check on your tongue. Proverbs 15, verse 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Stop gossiping, Proverbs 16, 28. And third, biblically confront. James doesn't say never speak. He just says be slow to speak. There are times in which we do need to speak. And some of those times to, to sort of lovingly confront, this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. And the idea of this is to keep us from building an inner resentment. We talk things out. Third, be slow to anger. Learn how to ignore petty disagreements. Proverbs 19, verse 11, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. In other words, not every hill is worth dying on. Second of all, learn how to develop safeguards. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. Be angry and yet do not sin. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And do not give the devil an opportunity. What he is saying is it's okay to have times in which we're angry, but limit the intensity and limit the duration. So here's what I want to suggest. I want to suggest that all of us, all of our families, make it sort of a family project to memorize this part of James 1.19. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. What if we all memorize this? And maybe at least one meal. You can do it every, every meal, but maybe at least one meal. Maybe at breakfast, I don't know. But you pick a meal in which everyone says it. You don't have to get all exactly all the words all exactly right, but close to it. Let everyone be swift to hear and slow to speak, and slow to anger. And maybe all of us quote it, and then after we quote it around the table, we pray for our meal, and use this as sort of a time to remind ourselves, in the cabin fever period, to remind ourselves, okay, I need to sort of ratchet down a little bit. One last thing, and it's this. Choose to forgive during these days. 
especially. There was a surgeon, or he is still very much alive, a surgeon named Dr. Kevin Kane, who learned how to remove an appendix through local anesthesia, not general anesthesia. Meaning, he learned how to remove an appendix and the person's still awake. <laughs> not everybody wants to be awake while the appendix is coming out. But he learned how that he could remove an appendix through just a local anesthetic, anesthesia. And he did it. And in fact, he was so successful, that patient went home two days after the surgery, just two days. Did you know who the patient was? His name was Dr. Kevin Kane. He was the patient. Do you know who the surgeon was? Dr. Kevin Kane. I mean it. I'm serious. Dr. Kevin Kane operated on himself and he removed his own appendix. And so, why do I bring this up? The truth is, the only one who can do surgery on their own anger is you. And you need to. You're the only one that can take that bitterness out. You're the only one that can take that anger out. And so, be willing. The Holy Spirit will help you, give you strength, but... You are the surgeon, and you need to let that come out of your life. Would you be willing to do that today? I want us to pray. But before we do, there are some of you that are listening to me right now, and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, and you need Him. And just like Kaylee last Sunday prayed to receive Christ, I would love it if you would do the very same thing. If you do not know Christ as your Savior, and God is sort of drawing you, there's a sense of want to in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you. And this morning, right now, would you ask Jesus Christ to save you and forgive you and to come into your heart and make you his child? Would you do that? Let's bow together for prayer. And I'm going to ask those who are wanting to give their heart to Christ, I'm going to ask you, would you repeat this prayer after me? Oh, God, I know I am a sinner. I know I need you in my life. And by faith right now, I accept Jesus as my Savior. Would you forgive me of my sin? And would you come into my heart and let me be your child? I give my heart to Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I make you the boss of my life. I commit my life to you. Oh, Father, I thank you for those that right now have prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus Christ in their heart, and I thank you so much for the decision many have made all over Southwest Houston and all over the United States, different people that are tuning in and those people around the world, and I thank you, Father, for this moment in time. Save them and forgive them and cleanse them and come to dwell inside their life. And Father, I pray for all of us today. In all that we're going through and all the challenges that we're facing and all of our jobs and tasks and the extra pressure that we feel and, and all that, all that stress, I pray, Father, you would help us. 
I pray, Lord, you would help us make the most of this time. To not let this time get by. But to make it a time in which we come to know you better and we come to learn to trust you deeper and in which we have such special moments with our family. God, use this moment in our life and in our homes. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm going to ask you to do what we do at the end of every service. And would you do it in your own house right now? As you are sitting there, would you give us, let's quote together our purpose statement. Are you ready? Our purpose is to love and lead all people to life change in Christ. God bless you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you back next Sunday.